This morning I'm going to be sharing a message entitled, What is Man? And uh, Wednesday night, as I slept, right after I slipped over into sleep, I began to dream. And in that dream, I was preaching this sermon to myself. And uh, so when I woke up, I wrote down uh, what my spirit had preached the night before. And this is what I heard myself preaching. The question is, what is man? And this is a very important question, and really it's a timeless question. If you ever studied philosophy or you had any of those classes in high school or college, you know thinkers and philosophers from the beginning of time, perhaps, have wanted to know what is man. And uh, this is not just a philosophical question. I want you to understand, I'm, I, I ain't got, I, I, I'm not even smart enough to study philosophy, so this, I'm not delving into philosophy. And you, know, and you know I'm not smart enough for theology. This is practicality. It's got to be practical. And the reason why this question is so practical, because how you answer it, how you answer it, not how I answer it, how you answer it determines your ability to fulfill your destiny. How you answer this question, right? What is man? Or bring it in, home. Who am I? It's go this, how you answer this determines your ability to fulfill your God-given destiny. Because you can't begin a journey wrong and get to the right destination. You understand what I'm saying? If the foundation of the building is faulty, the whole place is going to collapse. And so over the years, many people have tried to answer this question. There was a man one time who started out on a journey of discovery to answer this very question, what is man? And at the end of his journey, his summary was this, man is an ape, a highly evolved monkey. I disagree with Charles. And the problem with Charles was not his lack of intelligence. He was extremely intelligent. He began his journey without God. And man makes no sense if you don't factor God into the equation. There was another man who went on another journey of discovery. His name was Sigmund Freud. And he said, man's nothing more than a spoiled child. I disagree with Sigmund. Man is beautiful and man has unlimited potential. But again, Sigmund denied the existence of God. So without God, man makes no sense. And then there was a guy named Karl Marx. And Karl wanted to answer the same question. He said, man is a commodity. Like the ass or the ox. He's a beast of burden. I disagree with Karl Marx. Because Karl began without God. You, you see, you would go to the book of Genesis if you would. Put it up on the screen. I believe we have it there. I want to look at the very first four words of the Bible. Not the whole verse, just four words. Because without these four words, y'all here this morning? Yes, sir. Without these four words, hear me when I'm saying this, the whole Bible falls apart. On, the foundation of the Bible, all of its prophecy, all of its poetry, all of its doctrine, all of its, its motivation, all comes crumbling down without these first four words. In the beginning, God. Our lives will fall apart if we don't begin with God. 
God has to be at the beginning of everything. Listen, y'all follow what I'm saying? Every day ought to start within the beginning. God, every, every venture, everything we try to do, every plan we make ought to begin within the beginning. God, because he's the first part of the equation. So when you want to know what man is, you can't, you can't go to philosophy. You can't go to history. You can't go to deep studies. You've got to go to God because apart from God, you don't make any sense. And so I thought about trying to wax poetic up here and answer this question myself. And I thought, you know what? I, there's no one, I can't do better than another man who did the same thing, set out to discover who man was. And he did it beautifully. His name was David. So if you would, go with me to Psalms 8. And while you're turning, i got to say, you know, with, without God... When you look at man, you can't, is he a, is he a beast? Because he can certainly act like one. Or is he a God, small g? Because he has the potential. The only way we're going to know who we are is by knowing who he is. And so in Psalm 8, verse 1, I want you to notice where David, notice the difference between David and Charles and Carl and Sigmund and a whole host of others. When David set out on his journey of the discovery to find out who man is, look at the very first verse when he said, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. David started out right, so we already know he's got one up on those others. Because when David wanted to find out who man was, with God. To, listen to this, to consider creation, but disregard the creator is a fool's game. This is the reason why the world is confused. Because they try to understand things, but they ignore those first four foundational words. But just because the, the world is confused, the church ought not to be. We ought not to be confused by those same social topics. They don't even know if there's more genders between a boy and a girl. Oh, on. One English intellectual said there's over a hundred. Wow. Just because the world is confused doesn't mean the church ought to be. We got to keep factoring into every decision, every equation in the beginning. God. So when David started out to answer this question, what is man? And as I said, I want you to hear this because this will, this will either, how you answer it, will either unlock your potential or keep it capped. Yes, if you believe you're nothing more than a beast of burden, your potential will forever be capped. Why? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now notice, whose heart is it that makes the determination? His heart. See, you and I got to quit worrying about what everyone else says about us. It ain't what they say that determines who you are. It's what you believe. So you can either regard or disregard what they say, but what they say don't make the determination. It's what you believe. 
And you can choose to disbelieve what they say and believe what God has said. You're not a beast of burden. You're not a commodity. And you're not an ape. Verse 4, the same chapter, chapter 8, book of Psalms, verse 4. We'll get this started this morning. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Now this is where I love to break down into bite-sized pieces of the scripture. Because see, some, sometimes you've got to go beyond the English. How many of you know the Bible wasn't written in King James English? Right? you got to go into the original language because sometimes the original language is a little bit different. In this one verse, they use the word man twice, but in the original Hebrew, they're nowhere near the same word. And this helps to unlock what the psalmist is discovering. Because when the psalmist used the word, what is man? The first word there, man, that first time, man. In the Hebrew, it's a word that literally means this, sick man. Because the psalmist is looking and he's saying, what is this sick man that you take thought of him? How many of you ever looked around the culture and thought, they sick? They sick in the head? And there's something wrong with their heart? This is what the psalmist, the psalmist was looking around at the people that surrounded him. And probably at himself as well. And saying, Lord, what is this about this sick man that you would even consider him? That you would take a lick of thought about him. Because you and I both know he ain't right in the head. There's something off about him. Certainly this is not what you had in mind. This cannot be the divine design. This cannot be the original intent. Because what I see is sick men. But see, listen, this is the reason why y'all here this morning. The Bible says we're not to know each other after the flesh anymore. You and I have to get beyond seeing color of skin and gender and the clothes that someone has on their back and determining their worth by whether it's a name brand or Walmart. None of that matters. We got to learn to see each other by the Spirit because if we are in Christ, we're no longer that sick man. We're not, we may not have uncapped our potential yet, but we've been recreated in a glorious image and we got to see each other along those lines because until we do... There will always be division in the body. Because one group will make the determination they're better than the other group. That's all flesh, man. That's sick. Because in the spirit, he's made of the two, one. There's no longer male. There's no longer female. There's no longer Jew. There's no longer Greek. There's one new man in Christ. See, when we, when we split hairs and use our disagreements in order to bring division into the body, you're of the flesh. I don't care how much doctrine you spout. If you're dividing the body, you're of the flesh. Because the Spirit's cry is unity. And it has been since the time of Christ. So he says, what is this sick man that you even think about him? And then he says it again, and the son of man, but this time the word is different. In the original Hebrew, you probably have heard it pronounced Adam. 
It's actually Adam. Adam. What is this Adam that you consider him? Now, see, what the psalmist is doing is he's backtracking. He's saying, I can't look at the copy of the copy of the copy of the blurred copy to know what you had in mind. Because, Lord, certainly this man who eats one another and, and acts more like a violent beast than he does a glorious being, this can't be what you had in mind. I know you didn't create the world to be like this. So what did you have in mind originally? So sometimes you've got to forget about what you see and go back to what was. So the psalmist goes all the way back to the beginning and he uses the word Adam. What is the son of man? What is Adam? That you care for him. You see, in Christ, and it doesn't matter how, if a pulpit cannot distinguish between the fallen man and the recreated man, they can't help you grow. And can I say that again? If from behind the pulpit, they cannot distinguish between a man apart from Christ and a man in Christ. You hear people say all the time that the heart is deceptively wicked and only on evil all the time. That was true. Because each of us, before Christ, we were that sick man. But in Christ, see, what is man? You ain't sick no more if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, He's already healed you of the main sickness you had to deal with, and that was sickness of the heart. He removed the evil heart, and He gave you a glorious heart. So we got to do what the psalmist did. Quit looking at what was. I'm so glad that some of you don't know, most of you don't know what my history was. There are some people, you know this, they don't need to know your history. Because all they'll do is judge you by it. You ever wondered why sometimes when you get saved, the Lord will put you, the first thing he does is put you, and this ain't in my notes, I'm chasing a rabbit. But it's a good looking rabbit. Have you ever noticed that one of the first things God will do is he'll put you among a new group of people? Some of us fight that because we want to hang with the old crowd. Well, you need to understand that old crowd's going to keep you in old ways. So one of the first things God will do if you let him is he'll move you among a new group of people that don't know all of your mistakes and don't know all of your tragedies and don't know all of your past until you make the mistake of telling them. And because they don't know what you used to be, they won't judge you by what you used to be. In order to reach our destiny, Paul said we got to forget about those old things. And sometimes you can't forget about them because all your buddies reminding you of them. Everyone say, I ain't sick no more. He healed you of that. So what is man? The first thing you'll notice here, what is the son of man that you care for him? The first thing you need to understand when you're trying to discover who you are is this, you're cared for. I love this because this is not a declaration to humanity and not even to a community, not even to a group. This is individual. This, this one reality, y'all here this morning? 
This one reality, if we would let it be true in our hearts, would dissolve all stress, all anxiety, and all worry. Because He cares. The Creator of all that exists. The one who knows every answer to every complexity. The one who understands every solution. The one who has all of the answers. The one who has all of the resources. He cares for me. I'm I'm grateful He cares for y'all. And I'm glad He cares for the world. But when I'm going through my storm, I need to know He cares for me. That He ain't thinking, listen, when I'm going through it, I don't really want to know He thinks about you. I need to know He's thinking about me. That He cares for me. And as I said, if we would just let this one, just this one reality become true. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. The Bible says this, Pour out all of your worries and stress. Can I say this again? Pour out all your worries and stress upon Him and leave them there. For He always tenderly cares for you. What is man? Man is cared for. And if I'm cared for, then I don't need to carry the care. Can I, can I just... Don't get mad at me when I say this, okay? I didn't write the book. I'm just repeating it. But if we carry the care, then either through doubt or arrogance, we're declaring through doubt, I doubt he really cares for me. Or through arrogance, we think, I can do this better than he can. But if we know what is man I'm cared for, then I can cast all of my worries, my stress, and my anxiety over to him because I ain't doubting that he cares for me because he said he cares for me. It's an amazing concept to realize I occupy the frontal lobe of God's mind. That when God thinks, he thinks of Jimmy. That God has a tat. It says, I love Jimmy. You know, the Bible says you're, inscri- you're inscribed. I ain't saying that's a theological statement, so don't write me. But I know God thinks about me. And the reality of the fact that he cares for me, that relieves me from the burden of caring for it myself. See, there's something in our culture that we're, we're taught that when we grow up, we're supposed to stress. That stress and anxiety and worry is a sign of an adulthood. Because how many of you, have, if you're carefree, what will people say to you? Quit being so childish. As if some, it grow up. As if somehow worrying and stressing and freaking out is a sign of maturity. It ain't. It might be for those who are in the world without God and without hope. But for those of us who walk with God, no wonder the Bible says we are to become like children. So we're not worrying about it. Why? Because my daddy cares for me. As we sang it this morning, he's my daddy, yo. 
And if he's my dad and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the silver is his and all the gold is his and all the healings are his and all the anointings are his and all the angels are his to command, then why are we worrying about it? Is it arrogance or is it doubt? Either one. Repent. So if we're not supposed to worry about it and we're not supposed to stress about it, what are we supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says this, Be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Selah. Be anxious for nothing. What does that mean, Pastor? That means don't freak about it or that. Don't be anxious. That means to have anxiety, to have stress, to have worry. Don't do it about anything. Why? Because he cares for you. So this is what the Bible says. But in everything, by prayer. You mean I got to pray? You can either pray or you can freak. You can either be at peace or you can carry so much weight you go crazy. Personally, I'd rather be at peace than cray-cray. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Isn't that amazing? In, in seeking to understand what is man, the first thing the Bible says is you're cared for. You're not abandoned. You're never alone. You're never outside of God's thoughts. Not only is he watching over his word to perform it, but he's watching over you. The next verse, verse 5. Yet you have made him who? Adam. But here's the wonderful thing. When we're looking at Adam... In Christ, we've been recreated. And the recreation is exactly like the original creation. He didn't recreate me to somehow less than his original intent. You've heard me, is this okay this morning? You've heard me say this so many times. We can never appreciate redemption if we don't understand creation. Because it's to the original that he redeemed me. God has no plan B, no plan C, no auxiliary. God has one plan. It's a perfect plan. And he never abandoned that plan. He sent Christ, the second Adam, to restore what the first Adam had lost. So I'm recreated back to the original. Yet you made him a little lower than God. Not angels. The, the word there in the original is Elohim. It never has any application but God. 
Elohim is never ascribed to anything else. You've made him a little lower than Elohim. And then in the original, this is what it means, a shade. A shade, just a, a shade off. That's all you, just a shade off. You might be mauve or you might be mauve. But you're just a shade. And Charles wanted to call you an ape. Carl wanted to call you a commodity when God made you just a little lower than divinity. Who are you going to believe? God, who knew the original intent, or men who were trying to discover something they were incapable of discovering because they began their journey without God? Mm -mm. You made him just a little lower than God. Years ago, when my wife and I had first become missionaries, and the first year was especially hard because we didn't even know how to buy potatoes. We had no language classes. We just, Rick Renner met me one day and he said, I don't know anyone that did it the way you did it. I took it as a compliment then. Now I think it was a critique. <laughs> because no one in the right mind would have done it the way we did it. Right. We showed up not knowing nothing and nobody had to trust God completely as soon as we got off the airplane. Because we didn't know nothing. And one day, we, I, was, we were, I was on a tram, and I was getting ready to go to downtown Warsaw. And, and I saw the crowd begin to part. And I discovered why, because in Eastern Europe, there was a, a group of men. Usually they were men. There were probably women involved, too. But most of the time, you, they, were, they were homeless drunks, but beyond anything I've ever seen in America, they, they stayed so drunk that it literally it discolored and disfigured their skin. And most of the time, they would fell so many times flat on their face, their nose would be all mushed up. You could see them, and you could know who they were by the disfigured face and the discolored skin. And if you couldn't see them, you could smell them because they smelled this wonderful aroma of B.O., vomit, and urine. Mmm. If you could bottle it, you'd be broke because no one would buy it. But this crowd separated, and here came one of these men. And the reason they were like this is they were living in sometimes in villages that had 100% unemployment. And they would, and vodka was cheaper than water. And so they would drink their lives away to deaden the pain. And this man came walking and the crowd separated because he was especially, yeah. And when I saw him, the Lord said, pray for him. And I'm standing on the tram holding the bar and I'm like, I don't know. And the Lord, this is what the Lord, and I'm going, I'm staying with what I'm preaching here. The Lord said, I want you to pray for the restoration of his dignity. Yes. I'd never heard anything like that before. So I began to pray. I, I would thought the, the Lord would have said, pray for him to get saved. Pray for his salvation. The Lord said, pray for the restoration of his dignity. And so I began to pray for this man's dignity. 
And I didn't even know what I was praying, but I said, Lord, I pray for the restoration of this man's dignity. Restore him back to the original intent that you had for him. Let the picture of his life be made perfect again. Father, I pray for the restoration of his dignity. And when I got off the tram, I heard the Lord say, thank you. You know how that'll make you bawl in public? The Lord said, thank you for praying for him. No one in his entire life has ever uttered a prayer for that man until now. I almost fell to my knees. I said, thank you for the opportunity, Father. I still didn't know what I prayed, so when I got home to my world ministry headquarters, a.k.a. the bedroom, I had to look up the word dignity. And I, I see, I, I, I like going to a pre-1920 dictionary. After 1920, they began to secularize the dictionary. Pre-1920, they still had biblical definitions in there. And so I made my wife go out and buy me a pre-1920 dictionary, and, and it's about this thick. It's in my office right now. And I looked up the word dignity, and you know what it said? Tied to deity. The original. The original dignity of man was not in his clothes, not in his rank, not in his title, but it was in the fact that he, w- he had an umbilical cord to deity. Life came from deity and came into man. And the prayers of man returned to deity and deity gave more life to man. And the dignity of man was that I was tied to God. And this is what the Lord told me to pray for this man. Pray for the original intent. See, what is man? You're a dignitary. You're dignified. If you're in Christ, you are dignified, not by what you wear, not by the type of watch or the rings or any of those other things. The dignity of you is you're tied to him. And he glorifies and beautifies your life just by pouring himself into you. What is man? Listen to this. I dignitaries get a lot of respect because they're important and powerful people in their country. Sometimes not in the country they serve, but in their home country. The kingdom thinks a lot of you. Say, la, let that sink in. It don't matter what your neighbors think. It doesn't matter what they think. The king thinks a lot of you. He loves the whole world, but he's particularly fond of you. Heads of state, ambassadors, and royalty are all dignitaries. This is what the the internet says. It's not easy to become a dignitary. You'd better either be born into the right family. Y'all let that go right past you, didn't you? You got to be born. What did Prince Harry do? Nothing. He could be illiterate. But in England, he's still a dignitary because he was born into the right family. Do you know that the Bible says you're born of God? You're born of God. This, the Bible says you are of God. Yes, sir. An identity 
established at the point of birth. When I came out of my mama's canal, I became a miller. Because my identity was established at the point of birth. When you were born again, your identity was established. You are of Jehovah. You want to know where I come from? Listen, you can, you can impress me with your backstory, but let me tell you about mine. Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, Jimmy, Shakabaka. What is man? A dignitary. Dignified. Mm. Born into the right family. I need to hurry, don't I? No, I got plenty of time. Hallelujah, Father. Listen to this. God himself is the source of your dignity. And this ain't about lording it over others. Do you know the, the primary purpose of making someone a dignitary the primary purpose is immunity I want to say that again the primary purpose if, if the president of the United States bequeaths an ambassadorship to someone he has just made that someone a dignitary and then he ships that someone to a foreign country. When they get to that foreign country, you know what they have? The number one benefit of being a dignitary is immunity. You don't get it. Are you getting this? You are immune. If you'll know who you are, you are immune to the things of this world. You are immune to its downturns. You are immune to its viruses. You are immune to all of its deficiencies because you are in the world, but you ain't of the world. You're a dignitary from another place. The number one benefit of being a dignitary is immunity. You can't touch me. Because I have diplomatic immunity. See, sometimes you listen, saints of God, you need to look the devil in the face. Quit running from him. Stick your chest out. Plant your feet and tell him you can't touch me. Because I have heavenly diplomatic immunity. I'm born of God. I reign in life as a king. You can't touch this. For those of you who don't know, that was my best MC hammer. Hallelujah. You can't touch this. Not if you know who you are. For those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. And if you know God, you know who you are because you are of God. Hallelujah, Father. It's about the divine design. It's about the way God made you. See, you can't look at the sick man and know who you are. This is the reason why you can't look at your biological history and know your potential. 
It doesn't matter what family you were born into. Some of you, some of you were born into wonderful families, and thank God for it. Some of you were born into hell. It don't matter, because in Christ, He's redeemed you. All those old things have passed away. All things have become new. And at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. In the, the Young's literal of Psalms 8, verse 5 says this, And causest him to lack a little of the Godhead. I don't, I don't want to go into this, but you know, it, see, you, I've heard people say before, I think they're well-intended, they're just not well-educated, that God will withhold his glory. And that's not what the Bible says. There is something God withheld, and I don't want to preach on it, but if you go back to the original garden, God told him there was one thing he wasn't to touch. That wasn't the glory. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the one thing God withheld. God didn't want you to know lack. He didn't want you to know any of the things that have to do with evil. You know what came with evil? Sin, sickness, depravity, Wicked. God didn't want you to know all of that to be alien to you, and that's what He withheld. But the Bible says no good thing. Is the glory not a good thing? It's the best thing. No good thing will He withhold from you. So please do not let uneducated preachers tell you who you are. You better go back to the Bible, man. You better go back to the beginning and find out who you are in God. Because not only, not only did his share his glory, but can we keep reading this? Let's look at this in verse 6. And I'm skipping Matthew chapter 6. Well, oh no, verse 5. I don't want to skip that part. Hallelujah, Father. Where was I? I know it was good. Verse 5. You crown him. No, that's five. Well, they'll change that. Don't, don't mess with me now. <laughs> you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him. With what? So tell me God is withholding his glory? No. He crowned you with glory. The, 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 the point of putting a crown is the point of coronation. Yes. What is man? At creation, there was a coronation. And God placed a crown upon his creation's head. And I love this because, see, th this is not a position we aspire to our own. We're not the ones saying we're going to exalt ourselves. There was one who tried that and he got cast out. This is a position God gave us. We, who, who crowned you? God did. God's the one doing this. God's the one who at the point of creation decided to make it a coronation and to crown man to reign, to rulership, to dominion, to life mastery. Now you know what took place at the recreation? Another coronation. See, you and I may not know this because we've allowed uneducated men to define us 
And we have accepted their suppositions and their opinions and their judgments without going back to the original and design. I was created to reign in life, not to reign over you, not to reign over others, but to reign in life. That I would be the master of every environment and every circumstance I find myself. I have the equipping to reign in that position because the Bible says he made him rule over all the works of his hands. So God crowned you. What is man? You're glorious. <laughs> he crowned him with honor and majesty. This word glory, listen to this. These words intersect a lot, but in the original there are slight differences. The word glory has to do with splendor. Right? Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed as one of these. The glory of Solomon is what you saw on the outside of Solomon. And that's part of it. But another part of the glory of Solomon is he was the richest man on the planet at the time. And this word here, the first one, has to do with resources. You see, God, it would, it got, how many of you know God, God's a really good designer? And he wouldn't call you to reign and not give you the equipment to reign. Are y'all here? Do you know I've studied history? And although there's different levels of wealth, there's never been such a thing as a poor monarch. I mean, some are wealthier than others, but there's one thing that's true. The monarch of any land is always the wealthiest in the land. Because you have to, in order to actually reign, you got to have some resources. Putting a plastic crown on your head don't make you a monarch. That just means you went to the Dollar Tree. But when God calls you to reign, He equips you to reign. He gives you the resources you need. Now here's the thing, sometimes it takes faith to find the resources. But the, the reason, oh, help me. I don't want to camp out on this too long. You need to understand this, that God has given you everything you need to fulfill your dream. Yes. Everything you need to do what God's called you to do, to build that business, build that church, build that hospital, build that, whatever it is you want to build, it's either in your soul or it's in the soil. But it's around you. And by faith, you've got to discover it. By faith, you've got to dig deep into yourself to discover those hidden talents that you have not yet defined, you have not yet uh, 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 disciplined, and you've not yet marketed. But if God called you to do it, you've got the resources. Because what is man? Man ain't broke. You have the resources you need because God said it right here. Part of the crowning was the equipping. And the word majesty literally means beauty and splendor. That's why you ought not, when we sing that song, I am beautiful, you ought to holler it out. Because in Christ you are, you're something special. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. You're unique, you're a treasure, you're wonderfully made. In Christ you have unlimited potential and you are special. Verse 6, you make him 
to rule over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. To rule means to provide directive, to set direction. Our lives, when we know who we are, are not out of control, spinning around and around and heading for a crash. Not when we know who we are. When we know who we are, we can bring our lives out of that tailspin. When we know who we are, we set the direction. We set the direction by providing directives. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. That's a directive. That's the psalmist saying, you know how my day is going to be? It's going to be a day filled with worship. It's going to be a day filled with rejoicing. It's going to be a day when I'm heavy loaded down with the benefits of serving God. This is not a mundane day. This ain't a blue day. This is a great day. This is a blessed day. You ought to say it until they get sick of hearing you say it. Because when you say it, what you're doing is you're providing the directive. You're setting the course. You're charting your destiny. Mm. Listen to this. If it was made by the hands of God, you are given by God the ability to give it directives. Did you hear what I just said? If it was made by the hands of God, you've been given the right to give it directives. All things work together. Not by themselves, but because we make them work together. How many of you ever know you can till soil, but if you just let it go, what's going to grow? Weeds. But you can chart the course and set the directive by giving it directives. No, you're not growing weeds. You are going to grow tomatoes and potatoes and cantaloupers. Hmm. Listen to this out of the book of Job, chapter 22, verse 28. You will also decree a thing, and it will be established for you. And light will shine on your ways. When you would decree a thing. The Holy Spirit has anointed us to live as kings. Our kingship comes from God. And listen to this. We are either a sovereign or a slave. Either we reign as kings or outside forces will reign in our lives. I discovered the hard way. You cannot abdicate what God gave you responsibility to steward, and that's your life. Because if you abdicate to another the responsibility, they'll use you for their benefit. You and I have got to take control first of our own lives. Because He did not create us to be slaves. He created us to be sovereigns. We were never designed to rule apart from Him, but to rule as part of Him. That's, that's, that's tweetable right there. And I don't even know how to tweet. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. Remember those four little words in the beginning, God, make your plans, dream, but always include in the beginning, God, God, what would you have me to do? God, where would you?
in the beginning, God, make the plans, but include God in the beginning of the plans. Because when, listen to this, when your plans align with his purposes, the purposes of God will prevail. When your plans align with his purposes, your plans will prevail. The question is, are my, Father, do you glorify or horrify God? You glorify God when you start out with the proper in the beginning. God, what would you have me to do? God, what is your will in this situation? Are you being glorified by what I say, how I behave, and what I do? Or are you horrified by the fact that I make my own plans and I act as if you do not exist? I don't want to horrify them. I want to glorify them. And when we start out, we make our plans. What is man? United with God. My plans don't have to be my own. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. We cannot abdicate. Listen to this in closing. We cannot abdicate to others what God has given us to steward. Your talents are yours. Quit waiting for somebody else to build your stage. Quit waiting for someone else to do all the work. You do the work. You dig down. You go deep. If you're a writer, learn grammar. If God called you to business, learn accounting. Do what you got to do. But develop what is in you and God will make you a success. Quit waiting for everyone else to do it when all the planets align. Someday. No, someday ain't never going to come. Until you realize God already gave it to me. One pastor, one, he needed $50,000, and this was back in the day when $50,000 was really $50,000. He needed $50,000, and he went to the Lord, and the Lord, he said, Lord, I need $50,000. And it was to do something for the kingdom, and the Lord said, I've already given it to you. So he got real excited, and he thought, well, it's going to come in the mailbox or the offering bucket. And so he watched the offering bucket in the mailbox like a hawk. Didn't come. So he went back to the Lord. He said, Lord, I need $50,000. The Lord said, I already gave it to you. So he watched the offering bucket again. He watched the mailbox again. Nothing came. He went back to the Lord. Lord, I need $50,000. And the Lord said, I've already given it to you. And he said, Lord, if you've given it to me, you hit it so well, I can't find it. And the Lord said, I gave it to you. This pastor, way back when, the Lord had given him a children's curriculum for children's church that no one was using but his. And his wife told him one day, Willie, his name was Willie George, pastors a church of about 50,000 people now. Willie, if you would just copy the children's curriculum that you've been using in our own church, I think people would pay you for it. See, he had it all the time. He just didn't recognize what it was. See, you've got things in your life. When God called, is this okay this morning? When God called Moses to deliver the people of Israel, Moses gave him excuses. God said, what you got in your hand? We give God excuses. He wants to know. See, God never calls you to do nothing with what you don't have. 
but he does call you to do something with what you do have. What do you got in your hand? Moses said, all I got is a stick. God said, that's all I need. Because in that stick, I can deliver the people. Willie had children's curriculum. He took it to a copy machine and copied it. And in about a month, he had $50,000. See, we, we, God, if you would only do this, he's already done it. He coronated you. Y'all getting this? He, God laid his hands on you. He crowned you with glory. He, when God laid his hands on you, he prophesied the full equipment of everything you need. In the Spirit, you've got all the anointing of God. You've got the gifts of the Spirit. You need to prophesy, He gave you that. You need, to, you, need to, you, you need authority, He gave you that. But in the natural, He gave you access to the gold. He gave you access to the silver. He gave you access to the riches. Everything you need, when He laid His hands on you, God said, and riches be. And when God says be, it is. Hallelujah. So your skills are yours. Your talents are yours. Your dreams are yours. Your life is yours. Talking about what man is. Man is something very special. If you would only believe who you are, you would never again look in the mirror and regret who you are. You're a carrier of God's image of God's likeness and God's glory. You were created to be someone of significance. I would encourage you never again doubt your value and your worth. Just because they didn't recognize it. That don't mean you ain't it. It just means they were blind. Stand to your feet. We're going to make a couple declarations. And Pastor Cleve and Yvonne are going to head to the back door. And Pastor Lee and Daisy are going to come up here and pray with you if you need prayer this morning. Now, I need to say this to you. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, none of what I just said applies to you. But it can. But it don't. Because if you're apart from Christ, you're one sick puppy. You're the sick man. But you don't got to be sick no more. He'll deliver you from that sickness. He'll deliver you from that sin. He'll translate you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light in just a moment of time. Bam, right there. So if you need prayer this morning for salvation, you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, man, that's all available to you. You need healing in your body. Man, Lee's got so much anointing in his hands, he'll lay hands on you, you'll wake up in the back of the church. (laughs) Underneath a chair. It's all available for you. For the rest of us, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. I'm going to let you go. But I want you to say this. Father, Father, I am who you created me to be. be. I'm not who they called me. I I don't wear those labels. And I disregard those names. I I am who you called me to be. You've crowned me. I wear your glory. I'm well equipped. I'm sound of mind. I'm strong in heart. I'm noble in spirit. I'm not weak. I'm strong. 
I'm not insignificant. I'm special. I will do through you everything you've called me to do. I will not relinquish not one dream, not one step, not one foot of land. Through you and by you, I will be what you've called me to be, what you crowned me to be, what you equipped me to be. In Jesus' name. I am something very special. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise.